Now, if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. Here's the big deal. Uh, have you ever had this where you've had a really high season in your life, uh, like Christmas? How many of you, like, for, the big, for the, your year, your biggest holiday is Christmas? Is that, how many would say, no, it's Easter? How many would say, no, it's Thanksgiving? How many of you, would be, it would be like Labor Day or <laughs> something else? No, okay, just, just every, yeah. So, well, <clears throat> if, you, if you're like us, we, you know, we have these big holidays, and we'll even decorate a little bit. Do you decorate? And, and a little bit for Easter, not a whole bunch, but a little bit for Easter. Christmas, we go over the top. I think it's ridiculous. And Thanksgiving, we have, um, you know, we have a few things that we set at the table that are really nice, some uh, fall pilgrimy kind of things, and uh, it's, it's nice, but it's not over the top. Christmas is over the top. But uh, th- then when those holidays are done, then have you ever noticed this and you put them in a box and then you pull the ladder down in the garage and put them back in the attic and you go up there and you say, uh, you know, we, we can't keep collecting stuff like this because the, the roof's going to cave in, the, in the, if we keep doing this. Our attic won't sustain the amount of weight of uh, 27 years of National Geographic's up here and, you know, who else was, what else is up there? But that's what happens after a holiday. Oftentimes we, we celebrate the holiday and then you're forever putting it away. I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? It's in church. I just finished putting Easter Christmas away like a couple weeks ago. Because we put it away and then some of it didn't get to the attic, so I just put it in the garage because I was too like, lazy to go up the, at, you know, the stairs to, the, to get it all away. So I waited until I had a full box. Because you know how you find stuff? You put everything away. And then we find one stocking that one of the kids kept in their bedroom and then we find you know some mistletoe that fell behind the piano or something so I waited till I had a full box and put it up about the time I get it all put away it's time to get it out again isn't it that's the way holidays go at Easter oftentimes what happens is we ramp up to to Easter and the death burial resurrection of Jesus and we might do some festive things with the family might do a special meal might decorate then you put it, you know, emotionally, you put it back in a box. You say, okay, we're done with Easter now, and we're kind of like done with it, right? Now we're headed towards Mother's Day and commencement, right? And then we're headed towards wedding season in June. We, we kind of put it in a box and put it away. And if, if, you, um, if you remember as a kid, this would happen with you with holidays, and then you would, you would get this, this kind of the way the story goes is, you would celebrate Christmas, and then th- three or four months later, you would celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of someone who, in your mind, is only four months old. Okay, just, I had that thought. But anyway, <laughs> you, you, you've had that, that issue of, uh, how do I put all this together? The only way you could do it was to put it in a box and put it back in the attic, and then it would kind of go away. But have you ever wondered what happened the day after Christmas or like the day after Easter or the week after Easter or a month after Easter? What, what happened? Well, you, we put all the stuff in the attic and went on to Mother's Day. No, no, no. Jesus rose from the grave and then some things happened that oftentimes we lose sight of. And the Bible is real specific about that. In fact, there were times when Jesus appeared to the disciples uh, for like 40 days after his resurrection. He appeared to the disciples, and after he rose, he was seen by lots and lots of people, which then gave to them a kind of confidence that 
This is not just a holiday. It's not just something that we celebrate. This is something that has some lasting meaning to it. From John chapter 20, let me just read you this. Here's one of the appearances. On the evening of the first day of the, of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Why is that? Because these people had led an insurrection with their new king of kings. See, they're, they're now afraid of being killed. So they've locked the doors. Jesus came and stood among them. And he, you get this? And it's a locked door. Okay. All of a sudden, there's more people in the room. We have reason to be scared. And what are his first words? Peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get in here? This is what we want to know. Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why would he do that? He needed to prove to them he was the Savior. And so he said, well, look. And he, he showed them the scars from the nails and the piercing of his side with the sword. And the disciples were overjoyed. This gave them kind of a a new kind of confidence that, th that he really was alive, that his resurrection really did happen. And it's hard for us to get perspective on this, but what, what's happening is by Jesus showing up, it gives to them a confidence, just like a winning team gets confidence as they begin to win, the crowd gets louder, the, the crowd gets more confident as we begin to win. So that will happen for some 40 days. Now from Acts chapter 1, um, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Stop right there. This book was written by Luke, the physician. So when he says, in my former book, what's he referring to? The Gospel of Luke, okay? And when he's writing, he's writing to Theophilus. You're saying, is that his real name? Mm, we're not really sure. Take the word apart. Theo, God, Phyllis, it's the word phileo, it's for love. This is a God lover. And that was his nickname. Wouldn't that be neat to have a nickname like that? Now, what you thought was weird before is kind of cool. So he says, what I write about Theophilus, you God lover, and that may be his real name, it may be his nickname, I'm telling you that Jesus did and what he taught all the way up until the time he went back to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Again, his appearances are there to give us comfort, to provide a kind of confidence that Christians need. And John's gospel will actually say there are so many stories to be told, their books can't contain them. So if you think, I wonder what the stories would be, that's a great question for heaven. When we get to heaven, it would be great to ask Luke, and John, what were some of the things that didn't get in your books? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, yeah, there was this time Jesus did this. Really? Yeah, that didn't make it in the book. There's more there than just what meets the eye. So on the occasion, verse 4, on one occasion while he's eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now stop there. He's saying, the, okay, Jesus is leaving. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he says, this is the gift my father promised and I'm speaking about. Now he's saying, John baptized you with water. And they were used to that because John prophesied and said, there's coming a savior. You need to repent and get baptized. So there's a baptism of John. And now he's saying, now what I want you to do is I want you to know there's going to be an immersion, not just of water, 
but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come all the way over you. Now, this is new to them. This was different for them. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, um, what about the kingdom? When's that going to happen? Now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling them and overtaking their life, and they're saying, we want to take over the land. <laughs> See a disconnect there? They're still thinking here and now kind of kingdom. And, and God is up to something greater in their lives. And it, I, it begs the question for you and me. We're asking God on occasion, God, would you help me with this? And God says, I have something greater. I'm going to work in your life. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And we're saying, I just need to get through this problem, this challenge, this issue, this conflict. And God says, no, I'm up to something even bigger and greater than all of that. It'd be a great thing to ask the Lord in prayer when you're facing conflict or, or kind of a conflicted, challenging moments of your life. God, what are you really up to in my life? It's probably a good thing to be asking. Now, verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or the, t- the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. You don't need to know that. Just let that happen. But... Here's the turning. This is the hinge now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So as Jesus leaves the earth, he's he's leaving the earth and the Holy Spirit's coming to indwell them. And the Holy Spirit will complete the work in them that Jesus began in them. And you will know this Holy Spirit just like you do me, he's saying. He'll be your friend, he'll be your confidant, he'll be your guide. Other passages tell us this, that as Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin, the Holy Spirit will comfort us when we're in trouble, and the Holy Spirit will provide a kind of a confidence, just as we trust the Lord, a kind of emboldening to the faith. And he speaks of that, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be witnesses. That'll be, that'll be what you'll be known for. You'll be known as witnesses to this great event. And after this, the end of the passage, verse 9 says, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. So he gets done speaking and then all of a sudden he goes and scholars give us some very clear words. Right before their very eyes, it, this was a gradual ascent. It was visible. They saw it happening. It was bodily. There was no mystery to it in a sense that it was an angelic uh, ascension. No, it was his actual body. And then as he ascended he went to the clouds which tells us it was actually into the first heaven and then we can assume second and third heaven to be at the right hand of the father so so that's what's happened and you're saying why well, you know i was done with easter we put it in a box and put it back in the attic <laughs> and jesus isn't done with easter he's saying this is what's happening now i'm going to leave the holy spirit's going to come and what's going to happen is jesus is now going to go to the right hand of the father and represent us as a mediator and he leaves behind the Holy Spirit. And so there's this ongoing kind of present ministry that Jesus has even today. Even though his work is complete in saving us, paying for our sins, he now has an ongoing ministry of mediation. And in every aspect of the word, get this, he is, because of what he's done, he has earned the right. He is worthy. He is worthy, which is our word for worship. He is worthy of our loyalty and our devotion. If for you, worship is a kind of a disconnect word because it's not a word you use often, then use the word worthy. He is worthy of our devotion, of our obedience. He is worthy of our loyalty. And, and 
The Bible will refer to that in the term called Lord. Okay? Now, you've seen that before, and you've heard it in old English movies and um, you know, some, some things that are historic. Lord, can we do this? And that's a way of saying sir, and that's true. It's just a way of saying sir, but when the Bible uses it, sometimes it's sir, but sometimes it's sir with a capital S, if you get the difference. It is really Lord. Long after the disciples, after Jesus left, they saw him not only as sir, but they saw him as the one who had earned the respect and devotion. And so they, if you'll notice, they'll always call him Lord. There'll always be a sense of real reverence to this. That's why when, when Peter writes it, 1 Peter chapter 3, I love this passage, but, but in your hearts, Peter writes, revere him, that's reverence him, revere him as Christ the Lord. You get that? And then later in the passage, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand, at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers um, or in submission to him. So in your hearts, you revere him as Lord. Um, The Bible talks about different names for Jesus. He's called the last Adam in the new creation. He's called the head of the body, the church. He's called the great shepherd, true vine cornerstone. We could make a list. In fact, for 30 days prior to Easter, we gave you devotionals, um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed that kind of discipline because it just helps us to see uh, how much Jesus permeates all the way through the scriptures and how he's always present. He is truly the cornerstone, the high priest, the bridegroom, but the list could go on. He's the angel of the Lord, the commander of the army, the horn of our salvation. He's the rock, he's Emmanuel, he's a good teacher, just... The list keeps going. We gave you 30 for 30 days prior to Easter. We could have given you probably 50 or 60. But don't lose sight. Out of all those titles, the one that kind of overcompasses all of them, kind of the umbrella term for Jesus Christ is the word Lord. He is Lord. He has earned the right of respect and devotion and followership. He is Lord. We could illustrate this, you know, a dozen times. If you have a, your Bible, my, I have mine here. This is, to the left would be the four stories of Jesus, because I'm in Acts 1. But to the left would be the four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Those are four different perspectives from four different guys who had a, a different way of processing the truth. And as they did that, they gave to us four great perspectives of Jesus, and they're not conflicting by any measure. They're complementing each other. They give different angles, but all point to the central truth, that he is Lord. Now, Acts is a transition book from what we call law to grace, to being before Christ and since Christ. Okay, That's what the book of Acts is. It's really a historic book that gives to us the story of the first generation of Christians. That's That's what the chapters of Acts are about. So it actually is linear in its thinking. It's historic in its lines. It reads like a history book. But it will give to us this transition. And what we're going to find is this. Everything to the back of your Bible. So after Acts comes the book of what? After the book of Acts comes Romans. Oh, wow. After the book of Acts comes Romans. Then what book first? Corinthians. Then then Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Okay, you got it. Yeah. Okay, good. Whew. There for a while, I wasn't sure. 
And a guy over here said, maps. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are there. Apostle Paul drew each one of those out right before he died, I'm sure. I was on a boat, went to, well, almost drowned here, got bit by a snake over here. So everything to the right of this is going to tell you, because you're in the story of Acts, Jesus has just risen. This is all post his resurrection, past his resurrection, okay? And in light of that, every one of those books is going to give you the same message and it's going to do it in different ways. So I could illustrate this a dozen different times. Uh, I'm going to do it from Ephesians 4, but I'm going to show you the implications of what lordship means, okay? But I, I want you to know, I could do this in almost any of those, what we call epistles, because they all have the kind of the same message, that Jesus is Lord. Now I'm going to do it from Ephesians chapter 4, and I want, just for a few moments, for you to know that um, each of the authors, because they are human, they're going to give it from their perspective. They are under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and they are writing guided by the Holy Spirit, but you're still going to see their humanity. And so what you're going to see with the Apostle Paul, he's going to say, he is Lord over my, all of my externals, all the stuff outside, and he's Lord of all of my internals as well. From Ephesians, and if you have a Bible, just uh, flip back from Galatians. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. And he writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life that's worthy. That's our word worship. A life that's worthy of the calling you have received. He's saying, measure up to what you've been called to. Live a life that's worthy, that's honorable to the Lord. And when the Savior takes up residency in our hearts, that's a miracle work in our hearts and lives. But he affects us and it affects our externals uh, at least four different ways. Uh, first of all, in our relationships. In verses 2, 3, and 4, the Apostle Paul says, make sure you're completely humble and you're gentle and you're patient. Why? Because we want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. Verse 1. See how this is going? He's saying, be patient and bearing with one another in love. And you make every effort, I love this, Verse 4, there's one body, one spirit. He's saying you make every effort, verse 3, to keep the unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. You make every effort. That's a verse every mother of preschooler needs you know, to recite to their children. Are you making every effort to get along? Yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's a verse every Christian needs. Why? because we want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We're held captive by his love, and he is Lord of those relationships. Secondly, he's Lord of our abilities as well. Verses 7 to 13. Each one of you is given grace, and it's been apportioned by Christ. You've been even given the grace to believe. And so each of us has been gifted and and equipped, really, if you uh, skip down to verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. He even, get this, he even is Lord over your gifts and your equipping and your ability to even use those gifts because his goal is that you would become, the end of that passage, verse 13, unified in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and that we would become mature people 
See, he even wants to work on us in our abilities because he is Lord over those as well. He even gives you the abilities. Thirdly, he is Lord over our, our circumstances. Verses 14 and 15. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cutting craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow into become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Why? Because he's the one who is worthy, verse 1. So I want him to be Lord of my life. I want him to be Lord of those relationships. I want him Lord over my abilities. I want him Lord even over my circumstances because quite frankly, most of the events of our lives are out of our control, out of our control. Have you ever tried to drive north on 301 during any hour of the day? (laughs) Do you ever feel like we are way out of control here, people? And everybody needs... To behave and stay in their lane for a while. You ever feel that way? Am I alone on this? No, no. And just when I think my sanctification get tested anymore, I land in Brandywine. <laughs> Last week I made fun of Waldorf. I should have made fun of the lights in Brandywine. They're painted red permanently. There's no green in the light. Is there? I grew a beard once at a light there. They're so long. You're laughing, but you know it it tested your sanctification too, doesn't it? Most of the areas of our lives are out of control, are they not? There's a lot of things we can't control. And, And God is saying to us, even in the things you can't control, I want you to know I'm Lord over those things, because maybe I'm doing something in your life to develop character in you that the world needs to see. Maybe that's going on, I don't know. But maybe that might be happening. So he's Lord of our relationships. He's Lord of our abilities. He's Lord over even our circumstances, which we think are out of control. Why is he that? Because he's Lord over the body, which is the church. But he's Lord over my body, my personal temple of the Holy Spirit, my own church. Verse 16 from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Get this, if you're part of a local church, and you are, you're here attending this weekend, you're part of a larger body of believers, and he's saying this in a spiritual kind of a body. He's saying you're all part of this thing, and it's, there are ligaments, and it grows, and it builds itself up in love. As each part does its work, each part contributes to another part of that body, and when you choose not to, that's called amputation. I mean, you know these illustrations, they, they just abound. So you have to be part of the ministry and you need to be part of working out what God is working in you. And those are all good things, but that's about the church body. But then there's a spiritual sense too that he is Lord over even my own personal body. He has the right to call the shots. That's how I deal with my body. Now that goes against popular thought today. Because people want to do what they want to do with their own body. Have you, any of you gotten online and seen what people have done with tattoos lately? And I want to say this. I pay my taxes, and I love our school district, but there are people with tattoos who cannot spell. Have you, have you seen these tattoos? Let's done this. 
I, mean, I think they should be do this. Should not, I mean, it's just not quite right there. But they just, they do, you get online this afternoon when it's, you know, when you want, and just, and you will laugh until you cry, and then you'll see someone you know from high school with one, <laughs> with a misspelled tattoo. <clears throat> and those are the things I show my children of why you should never, ever do this, you know. And if you do, I don't want to ever know about it. And please don't put it on Facebook, you know. People think they can control their own bodies and that they have the right to their own body. And their own body is their own stuff and it's their own right. That goes contrary to what the Bible even says. Don't you know that you are bought with a price, therefore you have to glorify God with your body? So I don't have the right to just do what I want with my body. I need to take care of my body. If you have a tattoo, that's okay. Just make sure it's spelled right. Okay? About right now, some of you are going, I'm allowed to have to cover the tattoos. Ah. But you can't just do what you want with your own body. The, the, Jesus has purchased you. You are his now. And being his, there's a lordship thing going on. And, that, and, and because he's reigning over all that, you were accountable for that. That's the way it goes. He's not just lord of those things that we can see, though. He's also lord of my internals, the attitudinal things. Um, verse... Well, skip down to verse 23. This is, these are all verses we should memorize, quite frankly. He says in verse 17, So I tell you this, insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's not talking about a race. He's talking about unbelievers right there. And, and live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's saying they're just out of their mind in their thinking. And these are people, not Gentile in a race sense, or ethnic sense, but Gentiles in a sense being far from God and, and being fairly hedonistic people, okay? Be very much the culture of our day. He's saying, don't think you can do that. Now, just verse 23, he's saying he, he's made you new in the attitude of your minds. And the way he makes you new is he tells them this. He says, what you have to do is you have to put off the old man like a set of clothes. Take that off and put on the new attitude of the mind which is a new kind of self, a new kind of attitude. He is Lord in, of the internals, number one, of my mind, of my mind. But not just of my mind, he's also Lord of my emotions. Um, pick up verse, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and, truthfully, and speak truthfully with his neighbor, for all members of one body... In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. That's a great verse. Okay? Whoa. Read that one to your teenager. Uh, do something useful with your hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your minds, out of your mouths. <laughs> out of your minds either. But out of your mouths. <laughs> but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So you don't speak, you don't speak just to relieve yourself of all these words. No, you speak knowing people are going to hear those words because your words really matter. You ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words can never harm me? That's a lie. You ever been hurt by words? 
I broke my arm as a kid, uh, uh, summer before sixth grade. Fell off a bike, broke my arm. It hurt. Not as bad as words. Words have hurt way worse. And the other part of it is my arm eventually healed. When you hear the words, what do you do with harmful words? You recycle them, which you shouldn't do, but that's what we did. They play over and over and over again. And I would say, like a broken record, but you have to be a certain age to even understand that illustration. So I won't say that. But it just repeats in your head, doesn't it? Like a loop from a, from a computer. So here's our tendency, if we were to chart this out. The tendency is to have falsehood and anger and stealing unwholesome talk. That's the wave of the day. And the correct path, instead of falsehood, is to tell the truth. Instead of anger, is to stay current. And instead of stealing, you need to work so you can share. Get this. The most generous people in the world are not people who are lazy. The most generous people in the world are ones who work hard because they have something to share. You get this? And that's, and that's so gospel-driven, so Christ-driven. And then no unwholesome talk. Instead, the end of that passage, talk that will build others up. Not yourself, but will build others up. Why? Because he's Lord not only of my mind, he is also Lord of my emotions. See? Thirdly, he is Lord of our will. So you don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, verse 30, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, you get, bitter, get rid of all the bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. You get rid of it all. Instead, you, you be kind and compassionate to one another. You forgive each other just as uh, Christ is in Christ God forgave you. So you do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Um, ancient manuscripts say, cease striving stop it when you sense that happening lord put a clamp on my decisions may my decisions not just conform to your will but may may i dump mine so there's all the room in the world for your decisions to live out and that really comes down to personal choice and that's why it has to be our choice to absolutely follow the lord and to choose him to be lord of our lives but he has earned the right to that but if you're like me and you read passages like these, you just admit, Lord, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I don't have it. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. That together, we'll ask the Lord, Lord, we want you to have your way in our lives. We want you to be Lord. And we crown you Lord. And so we have to dethrone our own stuff, the stuff we cling to, and crown you Lord of our lives. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray, would you? And if your prayer is like mine, it will say something to the effect of, dear God in heaven, I, I trusted your son Jesus to be my savior, but I need Jesus to be Lord over all. The conflict in my life needs to stop. I want him to be Lord over every aspect of my life. Lord, prompt us to cease striving and to simply surrender, to give it up, because we know that at every point when you speak, you're always right, and you're always giving us the best. Give us integrity to choose the right way and to reach for the decision that would be Jesus' decision at every point, for he has the right to rule in our lives. He really is Lord, and we want to set him apart as holy and to be holy his 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church agrees and says, amen? Amen. amen.